because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am.
thank you, Jesus, that you're God that answers prayer. Hallelujah. Mightier than any problem, mightier than any sickness, mightier than any situation. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time.
behalf of your people, O oh God. Mighty warrior, stretch forth your hand to divine healing and deliverance into the lives of your people right now. In the name of Jesus, mighty warrior, release the working of your mighty power. Heal every broken heart, set every captive free. Let great peace fill the heart and mind of every faithful child of God. We thank you, Lord, that you are our healer and you are our deliverer. We thank you that your blood has washed us and makes us whiter than snow. You've blotted out our transgressions. You've thrown our sins as far as the east is from the west. We stand free, forgiven, full of the life of God. Oh, God, we love you. Hallelujah. 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 One more time. Glory. Glory to given us and you've made us brand new. Lord, we love you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would move in a powerful way, that you would speak to us through your word, and there would be a response of faith, a response of consecration, that the word would cause an eruption in somebody's heart, that the word would take away the scales off somebody's eyes, that the word would free someone from secondary things that are worthless in the big scope, that they might be freed to run the race and fulfill the call you have chosen for their lives. And all God's people said, God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't God good to us? Amen. Amen. There to my heart was the blood applied. Amen, amen, amen. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Have a wonderful time. Adults, if you have your Bibles, if you would go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's, let's dig right into this. Praise God. And the Lord good to us. Pray God speaks to us. Amen. 
You know, every time you hear a Bible message, God wants a response from you. God wants a response from you. Sometimes it's just a response of agreement and continue walking it. Sometimes it's a response of repentance and getting things straight. Other times it's a response of faith that causes you to move and step out, acting. In a way, maybe you wouldn't, but the word calls us to that. But one thing, the word of God never wants us blasé and complacent to the word of the Lord. We can say amen, we can say ouch, (laughs) oh me. Well, God's word wants that we can just shout and sing in agreement. Amen? Uh, Amen. But the word wants a response. Romans chapter number one. We're going to read from the New King James Version, and I'll kind of intersperse the NIV. Romans chapter one. We're going to look at verse one and then jump to 14 and read a couple of verses. Verse number one. Paul, a bondservant or a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated or set apart for the gospel of God. Now, if you'd go to verse 14, Paul writes, I am a debtor, I'm obligated, to both the Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You got to believe it. It won't do any good if you don't believe it. First for the Jew and then for the, the Gentile. I want to use as a title this morning, the three great I am's of the child of God. Father, speak to us. Do something in us. Dear God, don't keep us the same. Challenge us, stretch us, ignite us, fill us. Strengthen the weary. Wake up the complacent. Bring the, bring the stray back to a fresh devotion. Bring the hunger to a place of a new filling and enlargement. Bring the faithful a word that will equip them and inspire them to step out and move out and press on into the good things of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk this morning. I want to look into the heart of one of God's generals, the great Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul. We want to notice three things that were a special part of the fabric of his life. Three key characteristics or ingredients that really made Paul the unique servant of God that he was. Now, our text is the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is the greatest book on theology ever written. The topics cover everything from the depravity and the fall of man to the righteousness that comes from God and man can enjoy. Talks about the flesh warring against the spirit. Speaks of the sovereignty of God. It deals with the Jew and the Gentile relationship there. It speaks of justification and election and predestination and on and on. But this morning, our topic, we won't deal with anything too deep, but instead I want to look into the heart. One of God's choicest servants, the heart of this apostle. These three short verses within them we see in verse 14, the humility or the yieldedness, the surrender of the man of God. You'll never be a man or woman of God if you're not surrendered completely. You, you can't make a deal with God. He doesn't work that way. He's God. We're not. It starts out when you say, Lord, I give you my life, but I'm retired. God doesn't care if you're retired. Your life goes to Christ all the time. 
Seasons change. Devotion never ceases. The passion. Verse 15. The passion. The eagerness. The zeal of this man of God to serve Christ and to know Christ and to live for Christ. And of course, the boldness, the confidence, the courage, the faith that he had in the gospel of Christ. These were things that were really the bedrock of Paul's character. These were the things that marked Paul. They, they, they drove him. They steered him. They separated him from others. Such characteristics were the things that enable Paul to say those familiar words we all love, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. The three great I am's of the child of God. Number one in verse 14, Paul says, I, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor. Uh, I'm obligated. I'm under obligation. I have an obligation. You know, by this time in Paul's life, he had experienced both the highs and the lows of Christianity. He had the mountaintops and the valleys in his service for Jesus. He had built some powerful churches. He had brought many souls to Christ. God used him to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to shake cities with the gospel. Things that are to be praised, the things that are to be applauded. He had great revelations, great encounters. He was caught up into the heavens. Oh, man. Paul had some wonderful experiences, but also he had been beaten. He had been... Forsaken, rejected, misunderstood, imprisoned, hated by some, stone, slandered, left for dead on one occasion. All for the cause of Christ. The highs and the lows. You're not going to just have highs in this life. Get that one through. It comes with highs and it comes with lows. But he's worthy through it all. Can you say amen? Through it all, we recognize as we study Paul's life that he never became a one, one cent complacent. Just cruise control to avoid any more trouble. I'll water it down. I'll cool down. I won't praise God like I once did. I won't be as faithful to God as I once was because I had too much. And now I'm just going to use that as an excuse just to get it in cruise control and compromise and live a watered down life. Don't you ever do that. God's too good for that. He deserves better than that. Come on, say amen. amen. On the other hand, he never just got embittered and quit. He had a lot of reasons to get embittered and quit for the cause of Christ. We bring things on ourselves and blame God. He, he was doing God's will. And he never got to that point of being poisoned and allowing life to embitter him. He didn't just become an angry religious man at the end of his life. Paul never considered his life his own. But he wrote to us in 1 Corinthians, those, again, those familiar words. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. You know, Peter went on to explain to us that that price was not mere things, human things, silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, God purchased you and I. What a God he is. How could we ever consider our lives our own once we recognize and know the great and costly price that Jesus paid that you and I might know him and be forgiven? Now, the word obligation, the NIV, obligation, I'm a debtor. Obligation means to owe, to be indebted, to be bound by duty. And it carries um, two ideas, two separate ideas. Number one, he was obligated because Jesus saved him. So he's obligated to the Lord. Jesus had done so much for him. Like that old song, I owe it all to Jesus. 
When we think about what he did to save us, how he went to that cross and took our, our shame and our, and our suffering and he took our judgment. When we realize what Jesus has done, there, you have to realize, I belong to him. I'm a debtor to him. I owe, I owe Jesus. Amen. I owe everything to Jesus. Amen. But not only was there an obligation because Jesus saved him, there was an obligation because Jesus had commissioned him, given him a task to do. We've been entrusted with a task. Everyone that calls himself a Christian has received a divine assignment from God. Every one of us. Jesus does more than saves us. Then he, um, he enlists us and he calls us to sacred service. And as one writer said, this obligation, this reality, this realization, Paul really understood what it was to be saved. He really understood what it cost God to save him. And one writer says this obligation was so deeply felt by Paul that it was an intense, unrelenting, powerful sense of debt that just wouldn't let him go. It gripped him. It got a hold of him. He felt constrained by the reality that he had experienced when he met Jesus Christ. He felt duty-bound, obligated, to serve his master and to proclaim his message. And again, he recognized his life belonged to Jesus. His life was not his own. And he considered himself indebted and duty-bound to serve and live for Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, all out, no compromise and no turning back. Three thoughts here I think we should all identify. Number one, Paul was a debtor, of course. He was a debtor to God, and we're all debtors to God. Acts 9 is what we call the Damascus Road experience. That was Paul's conversion story. It was his testimony. Who can forget that testimony of Paul, where he came from? Paul, who previously was known as Saul, and he was a a Jewish religious leader and, and a rabbi, and he had such a violent hatred for Jesus Christ and the church. That in his misguided zeal, he actually attempted to arrest and ravage and destroy the church of God. That's what the Bible teaches. When the first martyr was being stoned to that Paul held their coats and said, give it to him, kill him, throw another stone at St. Stephen. He considered his life mission to rid the earth of Christians and the memory of Jesus of Nazareth. And one day the Bible says that with the legal authority from the priests to imprison anyone who called themselves a Christian, he rode into the city of Damascus, outside the city. He rode there with a vengeance in his heart to arrest any Christian he could find, to disperse the church that had started. And the Bible says when suddenly when he neared the city, a great light, Flashed all around him. It was so great it literally blinded him. Knocking him to the ground. And then he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? You might think you're running from your mother. You're persecuting God. You might think you're just throwing a hissy fit. You're persecuting God. He's the one that saved you. No one else did. He's the one that went to Calvary. No one else did. His day had started in a violent rage, desiring to arrest Christians, and instead, he was arrested, apprehended by Jesus Christ. Just like some of us, 
going our own way and doing our own thing. Have you been there? But then praise God, God Almighty, Jesus Christ apprehended our lives. Jesus stepped in when we weren't even looking for him. He woke us up. He turned us around. He made us brand new. He gave us a new beginning. Oh, blessed be his name. Can you say amen to that? Others, maybe you were just an old backslider. You knew the right way, but you wanted to do your own thing. That world had its lure. That world deceived you. And you ran out there doing your own thing. Oh, my God. But aren't you glad that he gave you a second chance? Aren't you glad that Jesus interrupted your madness? Stopped to give a heaven-sent U-turn. He could have just said, forget it. You knew better. Go. You grew up in it. You have no excuse. And instead, turned us around and interrupted our madness. Oh, what a Jesus. What a Savior. Come on. He's wonderful, folks. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Hallelujah to God. Oh, Lord. Paul was a debtor to God. And he cries out here in Romans 1, I am a debtor to one that gave me mercy when I deserved judgment. To the one that offered me his amazing grace when the life I lived deserved only his wrath. To the one that looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. To Jesus I surrender. To Jesus I give honor. To Jesus, to the one that opened my eyes that I could really see. That awakened my heart so I could really come alive. That forgave me and cleansed me and delivered me from those things that ensnared me. And bound me and made me a new creature and gave me a new life. Oh, glory to his name. Jesus, I'm a debtor to him. For all that he did for me. And listen, folks, what he did for us and what he did for Paul, he'll do for you if you believe and if you receive and if you give Christ your life. He'll still set the dope addict free. He'll still make the drunken sober. He'll still purify those that have been defiled by sin. He'll heal you. He'll strengthen you. It's a great thing to get on fire and live for Jesus. Come on, say amen to that. Oh, he's alive and he's well and he's doing today what he did 2,000 years ago. And if you'll come to him and give your life to him, he'll touch you, he'll fill you, he'll receive you, he'll bless you, and he'll make you a blessing. Hallelujah. Paul writes, and we should all be able to relate. To the one that gave me, Paul called himself in one of his writings, the chiefest of sinners. To the one that gave me, the chiefest of sinners, such patience. God been patient with you? Forgiveness, compassion, love to him, to Jesus. I'm a debtor. And that's why I love him so much. Paul loved much because he knew he'd been forgiven much. Humbly, indebted. Because he knew he was not worthy of such a great salvation and such a glorious Savior. What a God we serve. What a blessed people we are. Oh, what a salvation we possess in Christ. Let us forever be grateful and humble. Indebted by the marvelous salvation we have in Christ. Friend, never take it for granted. Never take it lightly. Don't act like God did you a favor. Don't act like somehow we were deserving. It's all grace. It's all mercy. Let that grip us. Let that awaken us. Let that move us. 
that we would live lives that seek first his kingdom, that give him first place in everything. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Like all of us, Paul had been forgiven much. He loved much. Let us be likewise. Paul says, number one, I'm a debtor to God. I'm a debtor, but he didn't stop there. I'm also a debtor to the family of God. That's why he wrote this letter. Paul understood he was part of the family of God. Paul understood he was not just a lone ranger. He was not just an isolated saint. He remembered Ananias. I don't know if you remember him. And part of Paul's conversion when he was blinded. And this man that, that was known for all out, all over the area as the one that was arresting Christians and a violent man and an enemy of the church. And then Ananias, this believer, is doing his devotions in the morning, having his cup of coffee. And God says, Ananias! I want you to go to such a place and talk to a man by the name of Saul. He's been praying. I told him you're coming. Pray for him that his eyes will be open and lead him into the church. And Ananias says, that can't be God. He said, Lord, haven't you heard? He's bad news, that Saul of Tarsus. He's arresting people. He's dividing families. He's taking people out of their homes and sending them to prison because they're believing in you. And you want me to go witness to him? God said, Ananias, go, but he is a chosen vessel. You don't know who God's chosen vessels are. Sometimes they don't look like chosen vessels when God chooses them. Amen. But oh, after God gets done with them, they're not the same. He remembered Ananias. He remembered Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And that a great nickname. Man, if you're going to have a nickname, that's a good nickname. Amen. Son of encouragement. Right. Instead of here's Agita coming up the street or here's, you know, heartburn or whatever. No. Some people come, you want to duck down the other aisle in the store. Say, oh, Lord, I don't think I can handle right now. <laughs> I'm running into them. <laughs> I need to be prayed up. I haven't, prayed, I haven't prayed an hour and a half yet. No, 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 but Barnabas. You see, because early on, most of the church didn't believe what happened to Paul really happened to Paul. They didn't believe it. They thought that for some reason, maybe it was, it was a sham. Maybe it was... Um, he was just faking them out so he could get in and find out who the real leaders were. No one trusted him. No one seemed to care, but Barnabas, the Bible says, sought him out, found him, stood with him, invited him to minister, got him in the ministry. And then there were some others in Paul's life that the Bible doesn't even give us their names. And that's kind of like life, isn't it? A lot of people might have long been forgotten that had helped us and been there for us. Some we didn't even know their name. The no-names. You know, one time the Jewish authorities wanted to kill Paul. The Bible says that they had people positioned at all the main entrance ways into the city, and their goal was to arrest him and kill him, not let him get to... And there were some men that risked their lives and put Paul in a basket in the middle of the night, took him by the ropes and put him over the... out of the city... They put him in a basket, lowered him out of the city uh, under the cover of night. You know, we've all had some help along the way, haven't we? Let's not, oh, man, don't get so cocky. Don't, you don't need the church. You need the church. You wouldn't be here without the people of God. Me and Jesus. No, you're a fool if you think it's you and Jesus. And Jesus works through his people. You're here today, but someone prayed for you, and someone loved you, and someone was there for you. And when your family went through tragedy, someone stood with you. Come on, say amen to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a debtor to the family of God. I'm a debtor because it's not of me. I'm a debtor because I didn't get here on my own. Oh, no, 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 no. These men that held the ropes for Paul. And we've all had people that have held the ropes for us. 
Times where we were weak and we were vulnerable and we were hurting. We didn't know if we could even, we didn't know if we wanted to wake up the next day. But someone was there to call us and befriend us and cry with us. They held the ropes. You know, Paul was just a wanted brother. They had no idea of the man he would become. He was just a brother in need. No idea how God would use him to write a majority of that New Testament that you read. Oh, no, no idea. But they held the ropes. Keep holding the ropes for one another. That's what brothers do. That's what families do. This morning, we're debtors to those that have stood with us, prayed with us, wept with us, testified to us. They've given, helped us in our time of need, and held the ropes for our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to godly parents that raised me. I'm a debtor to godly shepherds that fed me and watched out for me, inspired me, challenged me, disciplined me. I'm a debtor to friends that have stood with me through thick and thin. Sunday school teachers and mentors that have poured into me and supported me. Local church that was there for me from the cradle on up. Oh, they're praying for me again and again. They're there, they're there. And Paul, Paul was a debtor. He's obligated to God and obligated to the people of God. And lastly, he was obligated to a world without God. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ became poor, that you and I might become rich. And now that we're rich in faith, let's not be selfish. We've got to share the wealth. We've got to share the grace. We've got to share that message of mercy and truth. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, let's look at this together. The Bible says that though, though, though he was rich, you know the grace of our Lord. Here's the grace of God. That Jesus, though he was rich, he lived in glory and splendor. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, put your name in there, for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Oh my, rich in faith, rich in hope, rich in forgiveness, rich in salvation. Oh folks, I've got something, you've got something that the world can't give and the world can't take it away. And it's something the world needs. You've got what the world needs. My Lord, you've got what the world needs. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Tell others about it. Invite them. They don't want to hear it. Tell them anyhow. They won't listen. Give it to them anyhow. Pray for them. Let God use your I don't have, you got everything if you got Jesus. I don't know what to say. Well, just give them the basics. For God so loved the world. That means you. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever, that means you. If you'll believe, he'll cleanse you and he'll forgive you. He'll make you brand new. Mm, mm. I'm a debtor. A debtor to God. Who didn't need me, but he chose me. Well, he wouldn't have missed a beat if I never was. And then when I was living crazy, he, I was more of a headache than I was worth. But he loved me, died for me. Debtor to God. I'm debtor to family of God. I come from a good home church. About this size, just good upstate New York, salt of the earth people. 90% blue collars. Most of them either. Italian or 
Polish, Ukrainian. Amen. Either you were Sikowski or a Pelechi, but either way, that was pretty much how the, the church was. But they were there for every VBS and every Sunday school. I can remember, oh, they were there through everything. And we went to Bible school. Them old ladies, they prayed with us every year. Oh, they were there. We'd go out to street witness. Them old ladies, they'd come to the church. They'd pray for an hour and a half while we're out on the streets giving out tracts. I mean, they stood with us. They stood with us. You know, when you needed a job, they always found you a job from school. You know, they always stood what they supported. Oh, yeah. Debtor to the family of God. People been there. Isn't that right? People prayed with us. People stood with us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, and I'm a debtor to that world that's lost and without God. I'm a debtor to those that stood where I once stood and were lost like I was once lost. How dare I get haughty? How dare I? Become self-righteous. But for the grace of God, how many paths could my life have taken? How many pits could I have fallen in if it had not been for the mercy and grace of God? How dare I? Stick a righteous nose up at them. I'm debtor to them. Paul even says to Rome, hated Rome, conquered his people and crucified his Lord. He said, even to you, Rome, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm a debtor to tell you the good news of a loving Savior who died on the cross for your sins, who's willing to forgive you and willing to use you and willing to receive you and willing to transform you. Oh, it's a good news, good news, a gospel. It's good news that God loved us and God sent his son to die for us. And God's willing to receive whosoever will. Paul says, I know I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Even to that world out there that don't want to hear it. But I was at that place one time, you know, at a world that's so full of ugliness and sin. But I was crazy like that. I was blinded one time like that. I'm glad someone didn't think they were too good to tell me. I'm glad someone didn't think they were, they were too holy to dare tell me. Oh, the three great I am's of the child of God. Number one, I'm a debtor. That's why my life and your life has to be totally yielded over to Jesus Christ. We don't use him. He uses us as we surrender our lives and become that living sacrifice. Come on, say amen to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm a debtor. Secondly, he says, I'm ready. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you eager? Are you chawing at the bit, ready to say, put me in, coach, put me in. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be the vessel you're looking for, Lord. Go ahead and look at that, verse verse 15. So as much as in me is, <laughs> I am ready, or I am eager to preach. Now, Paul was eager, we know, to, to grow in the grace and knowledge. He was eager to know God. We know that. He wrote the beautiful words that I might know him. He never arrived. He wanted to grow in his walk with God. He wanted to grow in being conformed to the image of God. We understand that. Paul was the one that said, I'm pressing towards that mark. He called us to work out our salvation and to grow in this. We understand that. That's not the context. The context here is not just knowing God, it's serving God. He's, I'm ready to serve God because talk is cheap. I got to be involved in what God is doing. I'm going to participate and give and contribute to the cause of Christ. Great I am, Paul says, I am ready. I am eager. I love that. There was a burning drive in Paul's heart. 
to serve the Lord, to do the works of God, to touch people with the gospel of God. Salvation ought to move us to service. Salvation ought to move us to service. Paul was saying, I want to do my part to fulfill my call. I want to contribute to the cause of Christ. I don't want to be a leech. I want to contribute. I want to participate in the work of the Lord. I want to be involved in what Christ is doing. I want to be a part of taking the good news to others. I want to be used to touch and reach men for the loving Savior. Oh, my Paul describes this eagerness in his heart to the Corinthians, and he uses the, the neat word. He says, the, you know, the love of Christ, the love that Jesus gave me and the love that I recognize through Calvary, that love grips me. That love constrains me. That love fuels my passion. Why do you sing like you sing? Jesus died for me. How can't you not sing? Uh, 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 how come you tell others about the Lord? This thing is real. God so loved me. He sent his son to die for me. I was on my way to hell, a real hell that I deserve to go to, but God loved me so much. He let Jesus take the punishment I deserve so I could be forgiven and I could be a son of God. How can I tell someone about that? Amen. That's good news. That's good news. Whosoever will. Good news. God loves you. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and 13 and 14. Kind of how Paul is writing and he's talking about the personal reality of what happened to him when he got saved. That personal experience with Christ, meeting Jesus, it moved him, it affected him, and it should affect us if it's real. If you've met God, it affects you. If it hasn't affected you, you haven't met him. Easy enough. I love this. If we're out of our minds. You see, some people thought he was out of their minds. Now, you can act like an idiot at the ball game. But if you get a little excited in God's house, then, oh, come on, leave that alone. You say, amen, say, ouch, I just hit it. You know me by now. Let's get real. We might as well get real. We're going to heaven one day. Amen. If we're out of our minds. Well, why, why do you go to church so much? Why do you have fun? Because eternity is real. If we're out of our mind. So sometimes people think you're out of your mind when you finally got in your right mind. When you were living crazy, doing things you regret now, they, they thought that was okay. And now you're finally serving the Lord and getting your life in order with God. They think you're out of your mind. Oh, my Lord. And they thought Paul was out of his mind. Amen. He was zealous. That's true. He, he lived wholeheartedly. And I know, like the one old writer, I think it was Ravenhill, whoever it was, you got to backslide a modern church. If, you know, the, if a book, someone from the book of Acts came today, they'd have to backslide to fellowship with most churches. But anyhow, um, if you're out of our minds, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Because let me tell you, Paul says, let me explain to you what you think is zealous. You think it's too much passion. Let me tell you what it is. The love of Christ compels us, constrains us, drives us, excites us, stirs up, sets us on fire. Because we're convinced that he died for us. Oh, he died for us. We're convinced he died for us. We're convinced he died for us. Paul says, I, I'm not only a debtor, he says, I am ready and I am eager to do the will of God in my present generation, to do the work that God has called me to do in my lifetime. 
Everything else bows to the will of God. Other things get put aside and in their proper place for the will of God. But something is driving me. I'm not just waiting for heaven one day. This day, I want to thank him with the life I live. This day, I'm going to serve him with all that I have. I'm not waiting for someday. This is the day the Lord has made. And this is the day I'm going to give him my very best. I'm ready and I'm eager to do his will and to preach his word and use my life and the gifts he's given me to bless others and to reach others and to glorify the name that is above every name. Come on, say amen to that. The love of Christ, when you think about the great love, how good God's been to you, doesn't it move you? Doesn't it inspire you? Doesn't it stir you up? It moved Paul. It drove him. It steered him. It separated his life. That's why we left it and you went to the field. You left every other dream and you went to the call of God. Because it separated your life. You put all this other stuff aside, it separated your life. It moved Paul. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your willingness, your enthusiasm. Don't lose your zeal for the Lord and for his gospel. God is still looking for people that aren't ashamed of him. And aren't ashamed to be bold for him. Aren't ashamed to be committed for him. Aren't ashamed to say, I'm committed, you can count on me, I'll be there. I'm going to stand for Christ. People like Paul, willing and eager, ready to serve, to stand, and if need be, even to suffer for Jesus' sake. People willing to carry out his commission, to contribute to the cause, as we believe in the cause, don't we? Oh, yeah. To contend for the faith. Because we live in a darkened world that's lost its way. And we've got to contend for what's right. We've got to stand for biblical truth. We just can't let the world go. We've got to stand and put a trumpet to our mouth and declare, thus saith the Lord. When the world's going crazy, we got, that's crazy. This is the right way. Walk ye in it. Oh, someone contend for that faith. Instead of just letting everything go down the tube. There have to be those that will stand up with a righteous voice, declare, thus saith the Lord. The characteristics that God looks for in a man or woman of faith. Faithfulness, zeal, devotion, willingness to serve, to stand, to speak, to labor. May the zeal for the Lord and his house and his word and his honor stir us and move us. It ought to anger us when we see certain things. It's a righteous anger. We don't carry it out in a carnal way, but if you don't have a righteous anger, you're dead. Jesus did. And a zeal for the house of God and the word of God and the glory of God. Now, in case some of you don't have the verse for that, let's look at Romans 12 and 11. Romans 12 and 11. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never be lacking. This is Romans. Paul, Paul, same letter. Never be lacking in what? In what? Oh, Lord. That means wake up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means get into it. That means praise God with all your heart when it's time to praise Him. That means weep with all your heart when it's time to weep for Him. Amen. That means if you're going to serve, serve. Be faithful. When it's your time to serve, get there and serve. Be ready. Be all roshaka. Hallelujah. Never be lacking in zeal. But always keep your spiritual fervor. 
your spiritual fire serving the Lord. Paul said, I'm ready, I'm eager. I'm, I'm full of divine life and zeal to do the will of God, to serve God in the way he put me to serve. And everyone serves differently, and people have different gifts and different opportunities. But if I usher, I'm going to be the best usher I can be. If I'm cooking meals, I'm going to cook the best meals I can cook. If I'm teaching Sunday school, those three or four little kids are going to get the best three-year-old message they ever got. Amen? If God's calling me to do visitation, I'm going to visit. I'm going to, if I've got to sleep with a coat hanger in my mouth, I'm going to wake up with a smile, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to... I'm going to greet people. And I'm going to visit them. I'm going to go old folks home, young folks home. I'll go to prison. I'll go and I'll greet people. But whatever God's called me to do, he says, I'm eager and I'm ready to do it with all my heart unto the Lord, not unto men. Three great I am's. He said, I'm a debtor. We do owe God. Where would we be without God? Whew. Oh, who would have thought the paths we could have taken, the pits we could have fallen in? Had not been for the grace and mercy of God. No, I owe God. God doesn't owe me. I got news for you there. I owe him. Amen? I'm a debtor to God. I'm a debtor to the family of God. And no one got here by themselves. We've had friends and we've had family. And we've had church. They prayed with us. They loved us. They stood there. You don't realize how many times the devil just about had you going over the edge and someone prayed for you. They might not even have told you about it. But God puts someone in your heart. Amen? There's times I go through the day fighting hell, and then all of a sudden the thing lifts. I said, man, someone must have pressed through and touched God for me. I know it. Where would we be without? Amen? Hallelujah. Debtor to that world without God. That's why we got to do our part, support the missionaries, and share the gospel, and pray for the lost. So many ways to get the gospel out and to reach them. It's not just do our own little thing and have church and have revival, uh, you know, until Jesus comes back. We've got to get it out, got to get it out, got to get it out. Amen? And if all you can do is get a map of the world in your house and pray and support the missionaries, we'll do that. If you can go, then go in the name of the Lord. We've got to do our part. I'm a debtor, and I, but I'm eager. I'm ready. I'm burning with this zeal. This thing is real. The love of Christ moves me. Amen? Today, I couldn't get out. I was weeping half the song service. I mean, I, how do you read about that blood and all what he did for us and not we? When I think of where I could have been, should have been, deserved to be, when I think about that love and that mercy and the blood of Jesus and the cross, oh, my goodness, just makes you want to weep. Amen? I mean, when I was younger, maybe I want to shout, but I can't jump no more like I used to, but I can weep the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. I'm eager and devoted. I'm a debtor. I have an obligation. I'm eager. I'm eager to serve. Put me in, coach. You can count on me. I read a story about commitment. It's a true story. But it always challenges my heart. There's a story about the, there was a war or a border skirmish between Malaysia and Indonesia back in the 60s. And I think the Brits were over there running things and there was a group of Gurkhas there um, from Nepal. They're soldiers from Nepal. And they were asked if they would be willing to jump out of transport planes into the combat against the Indonesians if the need arose. Now, the Gurkhas had the right, of course, to turn it down. They never had parachute training. Um, 
And the story goes something like this. The Gurkhas usually agreed to anything. I mean, they were just sold-out warriors. These guys are a special knife they have, and it's kind of, but they were, they, were, they were a different breed. But they, they rejected the plan immediately. But the next day, one of their NCOs found the British officer who made the request and said they had discussed the matter further and were prepared to jump under certain conditions. Well, the officer said, what are they? The Gurkhas told him they would jump if the land was marshy, reasonably soft, not too many rocky outcrops because they were inexperienced in falling. All right, British officers considered it. and said, well, you know, we'll be dropping over an area that's mostly jungle, so there shouldn't be any rocky outcrops. That seemed all right. What else? What else? And the Gurkhas said, well, we want to fly. We want the plane to fly as slowly as possible and no more than 100 feet high. British officer had to point out now, planes usually did fly, you know, as slow as possible when they dropped troops. But to jump from 100 feet was impossible because the parachute wouldn't be able to open in time. And with that, the Gurkha said, oh, parachutes? You didn't mention parachutes before. Sure, we'll jump with parachutes anywhere. True story. I read that. I said, oh, God, they were ready, man. We could use some Gurkha-like commitment and courage. Amen. I mean, they're ready to jump out of the plane. I mean, Lord, have mercy. I mean, I'll show up on time. I'll be ready to go, preacher. Amen. You can count on me. Oh, God, give us some Gurkha-like commitment. Can you say amen? Woo. Lord, have mercy. Jump out of that plane. That was all right. That was all right. Hallelujah. Uh, we're getting ready to close this one up. I'm a debtor, and I'm ready. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed. The third grade I am, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Can you say that this morning? You're not ashamed of the gospel? He wasn't ashamed of us. He wasn't ashamed of us. Died on that cross, wasn't ashamed of us. I'm not ashamed to stand publicly. And identify publicly with Jesus Christ. Let people think what they want to think. I belong to Jesus and I'm not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed. I'm a Christian. I serve the Lord Jesus. And I count that a privilege to serve him. I'm not ashamed to confess he's my master and my king. I'm not ashamed to testify as for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. You can laugh at us. You can mock us. You can say old fashioned. Our house is going to love God and serve God and live right. Come on. Let's face it, the world's not ashamed to flaunt their slop. They exalt their gods, mock that which is holy, applaud their sin. Let us never be ashamed to the one that was not ashamed of us. Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to save anyone that believes, everyone that believes. You see, for Paul, the gospel was not just a message that he preached, it was a miracle that he experienced. It was a treasure that he guarded. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know its origin. I've witnessed its operation. I'm confident of its outcome. He says, I know its origin. It's the gospel of God. We read verse 1, the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God about the Son of God. There's no reason to be ashamed of this message, friend. It's God's message. It's good news of God for you and I that need it the most. We're not preaching or propagating just some kind of philosophy 
or a religious testimony, a message of culture, a message of denomination. This is God's message for mankind. It's origin. Paul, I am confident I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel that comes from the heart of God. It's origin, and I'm, I've witnessed this operation. I don't know about you. I've seen this gospel work. Not only in my own life, I've seen it work in many, many, many lives. Lives that others had given up on. Lives that the world said there was no hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. is powerful to transform lives and to heal hearts and set men and women free. Oh, folks, Rome boasted of its power, but morally and inwardly, it was weak and it was falling apart. Sin was crumbling. The empire from the outside in, like so many people that we know, they might have their act all together, but inwardly they're falling apart. Others, they boast about this, but inwardly their things are falling apart. But this gospel... Paul says this gospel has the power to change lives and restore lives. Oh, you can go into the prisons and preach this gospel and watch murderers and hardened sinners be transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. You can take this message anywhere to whosoever will. They'll believe it. It'll work in their lives. If they'll respond, it'll produce miracles in their lives. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I've seen what this gospel can do. Have you? I've seen what it's done in me. I've seen what it's done in so many others. I have a confidence in the gospel. I've seen its work. Amen? I'm not talking about something I've never experienced. This stuff works. Hey, hey, hey. I'm confident of its outcome. Because God says, whoever will believe it. Let me close this down. Let me close this down. For everyone who believes, not contained to a race or a culture, if you believe, you can receive the blessing and the life-changing power of the gospel. Well, you've got to believe it. A person has to make their own choice when it comes to the gospel, don't they? A person has to make their own choice when it comes to their consecration, not just salvation. But what kind of Christian am I going to be once I accept Christ? Am I going to be complacent, carnal? Or I can be committed and sold out. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation. Forever believes. But you've got to believe. You've got to receive it personally. Can't get in. You won't get out of your mother's faith or your husband's faith. You've got to personally receive Christ. And then once you receive Christ, what kind of Christian are you going to be? You make up that choice. What kind of believer are you going to be? It's easy to brush off the salvation part because 99% are saved here. But the next part grips us. The next part bugs us. Don't mind me. I only got one life to live. I'll never forget the story. I heard old Roberts tell the story back in the 50s when he had that big canvas cathedral, as they called it, and preaching all over the nation. Big tent that could seat about 10,000 people under a tent. He tells a story about taking that altar call one night, and he preached strong in those days, and there were mighty miracles, but he'd always take that salvation altar call first and foremost. And he tells the story that there was an engaged couple sitting in the back. And towards the end of the message, when he made the altar call, she wanted to come down and receive Christ. Looked to him and said, you want to come with me? And he wouldn't do it. In fact, he laughed at the fact that she wanted to go down. Brother Roberts told this story. 
She looked at him, took that ring off her finger, put it in his hand, said, if you don't want to go to heaven with me, I don't want to go to hell with you. Don't let someone else determine your destiny, especially not your eternal destiny. Make your own choice. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give Christ my life. I'm going to put my faith in him and give my life to him. Is any person worth hell? Don't let someone else determine your eternity and your destiny. It's a personal decision. You might have to come alone. You might have to leave others somewhere else. Closing down. Salvation is a personal decision, but so is consecration. And that means dedication and devotion to Christ and to his cause. If you're here today and you're not saved, or you're backslidden, I'll call you at the end. Make it right. Make it right. Don't play the devil's game any longer. You can't get by on a salvation you had 25 years ago. It better be now and it better be fresh. Amen? But for the rest of us, Lord, are we sold out? Do we live lives like I'm a debtor and I'm going to put Christ first and give him my best? Or do we kind of have it reversed thinking that he needs to jump for me? I ask us as we close, what kind of Christian will I be? What kind of Christian will I be? Can I say like Paul, I'm a debtor and I live that way. And I'm ready, I'm eager, I'm ready to serve God and sacrifice for God and stand for God. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I'm bold in the gospel. The three great I am's of the child of God. I'm a debtor, I'm obligated, never forget that. I'm ready, I'm eager, stay willing, stay eager for God, stay fresh. I'm not ashamed. We're going to pray our final prayer and then we'll open the altar. We always cover salvation and rededication. So if you're here today and your heart's not right with God, in just a little while we're going to stand and sing our final song and the altars are open. If you need to make things right, come and make things right. Whatever reason you have for not serving God, throw that reason aside and give God your best. Give him a fresh consecration. There's nothing worth more than that. And then if you're here today and you just want to pray, maybe you want to make a fresh altar and say, Lord, I've been cooling down. I used to be really on fire. I used to live wholeheartedly, and now I've let other things crop in, and now I've let hobbies and things, some things seemingly innocent, but now they kind of take up too much of my time, and I'm not serving you like I should be serving you after all you've done for me. Lord, I'm going to make a fresh surrender and consecration to you because I want to live out the rest of my life faithful for God, wholehearted for God. Or maybe you're here and you just need prayer. Maybe you need a touch in your body. Maybe you're thirsty and you want a fresh filling of God's spirit. You can come down. God do it all. Amen. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. Father God, we thank you for these exciting and stirring words from the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Father, that you sent your one and only Son that we could be forgiven completely and made brand new, that all of our past could be gone forever and we could stand uncondemned and righteous in your sight. We thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, we ask you to help us. Help each one of us to live out our lives 
as is proper for those that truly appreciate and understand the great salvation they have. Father, help us to never take this salvation for granted or somehow just take it lightly, but let it always humble us and inspire us in the way that we live. As we think about all you've done and how far you brought us, Lord, how many times we could have taken a wrong turn, but in your mercy you steered us. The times we we made a mess of things, but in your grace you lifted us out of it. When we look back, Lord, and how good you've been to us, please let that always move us and stir us, drive us to walk before you humbly and faithfully, willing to do our part, to take our stand for your name and for your glory. Now, Father, as we open the altars, I pray if there is anyone here today, they're not where they need to be. Maybe they've never said yes to you. Let them come and receive it personally, powerfully. Maybe they've drifted. They're kind of been getting casual in their experience. Let them come and make a fresh commitment that once again they'll be on fire and they'll be wholehearted in their devotion. And Father, I pray that as we minister one to another, If there's anyone here today that's sick in body, let your healing virtue flow mightily. Work sovereignly and powerfully in lives. Let people receive a healing touch in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here today, people are just thirsty for more of you. They want a fresh filling of the Spirit. As they come with the empty cup of their heart, you'd fill them to overflowing. And your family would receive a fresh impartation of the power of God. Now, Father, breathe life upon us and bless this altar time. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us and touch us. Breathe life upon us and refresh us. Let healing virtue flow like a mighty river. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Let's come to the altar. Let's worship the